Welcome to Misfits and Rejects, a podcast about the lifestyle design of expatriates, travelers, entrepreneurs, and adventurers. I'm your host, Chapin Cruder. Enjoy. I didn't fit in America. With cocaine, there's just always too many guns and too many bad attitudes. I quit the limiting stories. Really try to overcome that fear. And right there, for any of your listeners, a lot of what I was to do in the rest of my life was formulated by the fact I just went and did it. Welcome to another episode of Misfits and Rejects. Today I'm joined by Mark Heifel, a good friend of mine out here in Nicaragua living in the jungle, who I thought would be really fun to bring on because he's a retiree who's chosen to move and live here, bring his whole life here, and um, he's doing it in a way that I think a lot of the older generation might be able to relate to, but not really know that they have the capability to fulfill this type of lifestyle. So that's why I'm bringing on, and we can talk a little about his past and what brought him to Nicaragua. So, Mark, welcome to the show. Thanks. Nice to have you, buddy. But you're originally a Texan, is that correct? Yes. And you were born and raised and lived your whole life in Texas? Most of my life, all my adult life. I I was born in Arkansas. My family moved to West Texas when I was just months old. And then uh, I lived in Texas up until... I was right before I entered, I went to high school and I went to high school in Arkansas pretty much and then moved back to Texas when I was about 20 and I lived there. What, what brought you back to Texas? Uh, I wanted to move to Austin and play music. That's right. You're a musician. I am. And did you ever make a career with that? Not much of a career. No. What do you play? Uh, guitar. Only? Uh, I played a little bass for a while. It's more lucrative. Playing bass can be a little more lucrative than guitar sometimes. Really? Why is that? It's just everybody wants to be a guitar player. And so uh, bass players are in higher demand. I see. Yeah, I guess yeah. everybody wants to be the front man in the big show. And, yeah. And yeah. so that's interesting. I'm not really a musician, so I didn't know that. But And so being a Texan and, and kind of making your life in Texas, what what did you do for a living back when you were working? Well, um, for years, for the first, up until my early 30s, I basically struggled with uh, substance abuse problems. And, uh, and uh, I did odd jobs and played in bands. And then once I, once I got sober, um, I was look. I had to figure out what I wanted to do to actually make my way in the world. You know, once the fog started clearing, and uh, I eventually, I was always a car guy, and so I gravitated towards being a mechanic. Got a job at a Chevrolet dealership, where I learned that trade, and then eventually uh, went to work for different different dealerships and then independent dealers independent mechanic shops and then eventually i went i wound up going overseas and working overseas in the middle east interesting let's go back to so when, what year did you get sober like how old were you i was 33 so 33 you went from you know your adult beginnings of your adult life as working just odd jobs basically just su- supporting your habits or whatever yeah you yeah you were, exactly you were a drinker and drug user yeah and then you got completely sober how'd you get sober um well i went through rehab and then uh and then i went to aa went to aa 
Yeah, and that really worked for you, and you were able to completely stay sober since then. Yeah. How many yeah. How many years have you been sober now? I'm 28, 29 years, something like that. Wow. Um, we're gonna jump forward just a quick second because I mean now you're in an environment in Nicaragua where you see a lot of people with substance abuse issues and stuff around you. Has it ever been an issue for you being here now and and seeing that kind of behavior, wanting to get back into it? No, that you see that behavior everywhere here. Here in Nicaragua is a really, really good place for somebody to go if they want to drink themselves to death. <laughs> you can afford to do that here. Yeah. Uh, but it just reinforces my sobriety, choices, I think. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, there, there are certain people that we, we know that, you know, like the town drunk or whatever, mm -hmm. you know, and, and I don't want to be that guy. Yeah. You know, I, I want to live a healthy life. Yeah. So, so becoming sober and the amount of time you spent sober, you feel like really enhanced the things that you did accomplish later in, in your career, uh, as I know you, you just touched upon going overseas. Maybe we can talk a little bit about that. So you were in the car dealership business for a while as a mechanic. Uh huh. And then how'd you parlay that into going overseas? That seems like a really weird transition. Well, the Iraq war. Okay. During the Iraq war, they were, uh, um, I was having a conversation with a guy one night and, uh, this was in 2004 and I, uh, broken up with my girlfriend. I had a girlfriend for a minute there and, uh, had a pretty bad motorcycle habit, which was really running up the credit card bills and, uh, buying motorcycles or building custom motorcycles. Okay. Well, yeah, I was buying, I, I am not flipping. I'm just holding on to them. Or yeah, what? no, I was doing it for the lifestyle. You know, I was into it. Okay. And, um, and so I'd run up pretty good amount of debt, not a whole lot, but it was getting rather daunting. Can we say how much it was? How much it was, was maybe twelve, thirteen thousand dollars in you know, credit card debt. Okay. And, uh, and I, I wasn't seeing any way out from under it. And this was the time where contractors in Iraq were getting captured and getting their heads cut off on videos and stuff like that. So you thought it'd be a great place to so, go. So, you know, my, yeah. So a buddy of mine was saying, you know, you could get a job doing that. And I said, how, well, how do you do that? And he says, well, just Google, Google, uh, uh, what is that name of that company that Dick Cheney was involved with? Halliburton. Google Halliburton. And so I Google Halliburton and I was super qualified, you know, I'd been a mechanic. For so pretty pretty long time at that point, had plenty of you know certifications and everything like that, and so I just for a lark you know I filled out application, and three people called me the next day. Wow! And you're like what forty five at this stage? I was uh, close to fifty. Wow! I was close to fifty. At that and you point. never served in the military? Huh? Never served in the military. So then I was like, whoa, they said, like, we want you to come in, you know, tomorrow. And this is Halliburton that calls you right back? Or it was a company uh, that was, had been associated with Halliburton called, uh, KBR. I've heard of them. Yeah. And, and out of Houston. And I was like, well, I can't just drop everything, come in tomorrow, but if you give me a month, you know, and they said, okay, we'll give you a month. 
you know, so I got all my sort of my affairs in order, you know, and then I went down there and they shipped me to Iraq, you know, wow. after about uh, two, I think it was a 10 day, you had to go through 10 day orientation and background check and training and stuff like that. They train you how to use a gun? No. 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 You're going as a civilian mechanic. Yeah. Yeah. To work on what? Humvees and tanks and stuff like that? Well, interestingly enough, I I worked on just about everything once I got there. But no, I wasn't working on much military equipment initially. After I'd been there for a while, I wound up working for uh, the U.S. government. And then I I went and was trained to work on a specific vehicle called MRAP. But that was after I changed jobs. How long were you there at this point? Well, when I first went, I went for a year. And uh, and I had a buddy of mine building me a custom motorcycle while I was gone. Got out of my credit card debt and had my fine motorcycle. And and what? And, uh, and I went back to my regular job, my job at the independent garage. Back in Texas. Back in Texas. And I stayed there for maybe 16 months. I think. And, uh, what happened was during that time, me and my brother decided to pack up the car and go to Mexico for a month to go surfing. And I, I hated Iraq. You know, I hated working with the military. I hated everything about it but the money. I was so glad to be back. But then after I went down to Mexico for a month, I was like, surfed at this wave. This wave is like a, I don't want to name spots, but it's a left and it's like Malibu, only a left. Okay. You may know what that wave is. I have an idea, but we don't have to say it. Yeah. So go on. So had you always grown up as a surfer? I No, no. I started surfing when I was 15. I grew up in Corpus Christi until I was like uh, 16 and then uh, then moved to Arkansas. But the summer, the summer of 1970 was the greatest summer of my life. Tell uh, me about it. My parents had divorced. And, and my mom decided to move back to her hometown of Little Rock, Arkansas. And I stayed in Corpus with my dad. And my dad would drop me off at the beach every day on his way to work. And uh, I had enough money to rent this Dewey Weber ski which was a great surfboard, was what Nat Young was riding at the time, 1970. And so he would drop me at the beach, and he would pick me up after work. So I spent the whole day at the beach with that old Dewey Weber, and uh, which was a shortboard at the time. It was like 7'4". Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, and there was a hurricane swell that summer. And it was just amazing, you know. So it was my summer at the beach, you know. The bug bit you, you fell in love with surfing when you were 15. Yeah, yeah. And uh, um, and the day after the hurricane swelled, they put me on an airplane to Arkansas. <laughs> and it was like, oh, man. And my mom bought me a guitar to make me feel better. Oh. So that's and, how you found your second love. Was yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's interesting, man. Can we go back to the Iraq um, situation where you were there as a private mechanic for a company and then you transitioned into a, mili- a military role? 
No, what, what happened was after that after that trip to Mexico, I'm like, I started thinking, I need to figure out how to do this for the rest of my life. The Mexico experience made you realize like this is what you wanted to live in a little sleepy village, yeah, perfect wave, yeah, and not have to work ever again. You're right, okay. exactly. That's exactly what. I, and I and I thought, well, if I had stayed in Iraq, if or if I was to go back to Iraq and stay there. You know, until I got enough money to retire, uh, I could do this because the only other option is just to work until I die. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's the only other option. Mm -hmm. You know, the way it's going back in the States, for me at the time anyway. And so, uh, so I went back and put an application back with KBR and they hired me back. That had actually sent me a notification, we want you back, like an email. You know, a few months later, and I was like, fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I don't want any part of it. But then after that trip to Mexico and that month in, uh, at that left point break, I was like, okay, I can, yeah. That's really cool and interesting. So you're a 50 year old man at this point. You go your first tour, we'll call it, of Iraq, not as a military man, but as somebody. A civilian contractor. A civilian contractor. Hated every second of it. Yeah. And came back with the relief of not having to do it anymore, but then have this, has this, you have this experience, this sounding like very eye opening experience where it's like, I'm 50 and yeah. I could work for another 20, 30 years in Texas yeah. as a mechanic, or I can go back for one more civilian mechanic job in Iraq and make a buttload of money enough to live the rest of my life in Mexico. Right. Sound about right? Yeah. And so you did that. So how long did you go back for the second time? Well, then the second time I went back, uh, and how much money, sorry to interrupt you, how much money had, did you have in your head you needed to make in order to live in Mexico the rest of your life? Well, I was thinking 200,000. At, at age 50, about $200,000 in Mexico would last you the rest of your life? Maybe. You <laughs> okay, know. that's great. I love it. Yeah, maybe. You know, I figured maybe I could buy a little house, you know, and, uh, then I went, you know, then that's paid for. Um, were you planning on doing odd jobs in Mexico or are you just going to just slowly let that trickle away? Yeah. I was just going to let it. <laughs> okay. Like I was, you know, I didn't really plan it that well. You know, yeah. I just knew I, I needed some money and I needed to be, get back down to the, to the yeah. playa. Yeah. You know, and, um, and you know, like that first time I came back, I was completely out of debt. I had a brand new custom motorcycle and $30,000 in the bank. And you're what? 51 now. 2005 I would be yeah 51 yeah that's yeah. awesome okay and uh, so so you head back to Iraq and with a number of $200,000 in your mind of what you need to make right a timeline of what one year two years three years four years I was going to stay there until they kicked me out of there okay until I was going to stay there as long as I could and just see how much we could get okay so, what I decided to invest at that time, and we know what happened in the late night two uh, thousands. What were you investing in? I had stocks and bonds, you know. So that's what the thirty thousand dollars you had in savings you started investing that, trying to grow that little nut. Nah, I pretty much pissed about half of that away by the time I got back. Okay. Over there, I'm, I maybe 
was sitting on ten or 15,000 at that point. When I headed back, when I could see where that was going, you know, I was definitely going backwards. Okay. Trip to Mexico didn't help either. Yeah. And, um, and so I went back over there for, uh, another 18 months. And then I got a job off, uh, a job offer from the Department of Defense and which was twice the money. So I was making like 84,000 tax free a year at that point. And I went back over there making between 140, 160,000. But I had to pay taxes. Okay. With the DOD. And so, but they sent me to, um, they sent me to MRAP school. What's that? It's a, a school that works on this military vehicle called MRAP, which stands for mine resistant ambush protected. What had happened was when we first went to Iraq and Afghanistan, I guess, um, they were the Humvees. The soldiers were riding around in Humvees and, uh, and the insurgents were putting bombs, homemade bombs in the ground called IEDs, mm-hmm. uh, an explosive device. What is it called? An improvised explosive device, IED. And they were blowing up these Humvees and killing people and maiming and crippling them. Mm-hmm. So the, the Department of Defense contracted several different uh, companies to develop these MRAPs. So there was like five or six different kinds from different companies that would deflect the blasts and people would walk away from the explosions. And then they hired a bunch of people to maintain them, and that's one of the people I was. I see. That's what I was. And so you're now still there working as hard as you can, saving as much as you can, and ultimately stayed for how long? I stayed in Iraq. I went back to Iraq for like another six or eight months, and then I went to Afghanistan for a year. I got in a little trouble in Afghanistan, and I had to go to Arkansas, to uh, Texas, to do a little penance there. Mm -hmm. And uh, then I went, then they sent me to Kuwait. I went and did my last 14 months in Kuwait City. Working on MRAPs there. All right. And so you walked out of that whole period of time with the 200000 that you had hoped for? 330000 330000 And you're free now. I love yeah, it. but that's including all the money I lost in the stock market. Uh-huh. You know, minus all that. So, yeah. So, I had 330000 And I was going to go back. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I had a, at that time, I had a girlfriend in Kuwait City, and that's why I was going to go back. And... um and that the last day they changed my orders to back to Afghanistan and I'd had enough of Afghanistan at that point. So I decided I would redeploy to Nicaragua. Okay. And which I had already bought some property here at that point. How'd you discover Nicaragua? Why here? I, it's hard to remember for sure, but I think I was reading a book about surfing in Costa Rica and the guy, it was just like a little pocketbook and it had like, a chapter for every region of Costa Rica. And at the very last, it had one little chapter on Nicaragua. And the guy that wrote the book said he bought his property in Nicaragua. He'd just written a book on Costa Rica, and he bought his property in Nicaragua. And he said that it blew offshore 330 days a year. And uh, and one of the things I didn't like about Mexico was it was like after 11 o'clock in the morning, you were done for the day for surfing. 
because it turned on shore and it went to hell. Mm-hmm. You know, an occasional evening glass off, but for the most part, and I thought, whoa, offshore all the time. So I, I did some research, and uh, well, I just went online, and the first thing comes up: Dale Dagger Surf. I get properties for sale. Yeah, I've interviewed Dale. Dale is episode three, I believe, or four on the podcast. So yeah. Listening, can go listen to that story. And, and so I sent him an email. I looked at their stuff, and I sent him an email and talked to a lady named Chanel, and who's become a friend of mine over the years. Mm-hmm. Mine as well. And uh, and she said, well, you better get down here. They're going fast. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and so my next uh, R&R... You know, at that time, when I was working for KBR, you could go anywhere in the world on your R&R, and they would fly you there. Okay. You know? So I had been to Bali, and, you know, I'd gone home a couple of times, but um, that's another thing. I almost bought a place in Bali, too. Um, so anyway, I flew down there. After, like, three days, I bought a lot from Dale. From Chanel, actually. So I had a lot, you know. Mm-hmm. So that plan was formulating, you know. Well, now I'm going to Nicaragua, and I'm going to build a house in this lot, you know. So you have a lot in the yoga lots? Is that what you I did. Oh, I okay. sold it Okay. after I, I bought this house. Um, so that, so anyway, that's how, that's how I came to. And I, and I fell in love with, with Higante, and I fell in love with the waves here. Mm-hmm people but the primary motivation was the surfing and you had enough capital at this point to kind of fulfill what you felt was a realistic goal of living the rest of your life out in a small fishing village surfing every day with a simple life right exactly and you know one thing that really interested me about your story is because i read a lot of investing books and most recently i read this tony robbins book where he talks about annuities Mm -hmm. and i know you purchased one I did. So can maybe we talk about what that is, that vehicle of investment and what it actually does and how you purchased it? Well, you buy it from an insurance company and, uh, and it's based on how old you are and how much money you give them. Mm-hmm. You know, so I, at that time, and then you get a monthly payment for the rest of your life. Okay. Did you do any research on the different companies selling these types of annuities or? Uh, not a lot. I had a broker, my, my stockbroker who recommended several companies, but he recommended this one. Mm-hmm. And I had the ones that I, I looked at were pretty much all the same. Okay. You know, that I, I could tell. So I, I went with a company. I don't know if you want to say the name of it. Yeah. Sure. It was called Pacific Life. Okay. And uh, they seem like a reputable organization. My broker recommended them. Because, I mean, what's the fear? If, if you buy this annuity, which is a big chunk of money up front, mm-hmm. and then you, you're you basically agreeing that they'll pay you X amount per month for the rest of your life, and then the fear is that they go out of business. Yeah, or, yeah, or, you know, the economy collapses and everybody goes out of business, but uh-huh. then everybody's broke anyway, right? Yeah. But the downside of annuity is... What you get is what you get. Mm-hmm. You're going to get, like me, I get a little over a thousand bucks a month. Okay. And no matter what the dollar does or what the um, inflation does, mm-hmm. 
it's going to be the same amount. There's no adjustment, mm -hmm. you know. So do you have regrets then? Going no. that route or no? It's still no. the best decision you ever made. Yeah. You know, now I'm 62. I'm also getting twice that from my social security. I'm getting that from, again from my social security. So, mm -hmm. so, so now you've been retired how many years at this point? Uh, six. So I retired at, uh, 56, 56. That's incredible, man. Yeah. I mean, living the dream. Yeah. And so what's your daily routine like here? Um, I drink my coffee. If there's a high tide in the morning, I'll go surfing. If not, I'll sit here and play my guitar, or maybe I'll go get some pancakes at a cafe in town, come back here and play my guitar till high tide, go surfing. <laughs> That's great. Eat living, something. Living the you dream. Know? Yeah. Has your surfing uh, improved? You it got, you know, it got good for a minute, and then I took a year off and went to the Philippines. My, my girlfriend from Kuwait that I had at the time, I went and spent some time with her and then went to Texas for a year. I came back and my surfing had gone to shit. Mm -hmm. So now, I mean, it's not as bad as like when I first moved here, but, uh, and I'm, and I'm trying to transition from a long board to short board. Um, but yeah, I mean, my surfing has definitely improved on the long board, you know, mm -hmm. uh, but my shortboarding is not so much. Yeah. But I don't, I think that's just being old. I think I might have something to do with it. Right. You know, um, learning shortboard is difficult over after 50. Yeah. Um, but I'm going to get it. I know you will. Yeah. I know you will now. Life, life's changing for you here though, right? I mean, you, you have now responsibilities that you might have to go back to in the States and you're trying to sell this place. Is that that's correct? true. That's true. My parents have gotten, pretty old and um, priorities have changed mm -hmm. uh, you know when you got people that you love and you may not have a whole more, lot more time left with them mm -hmm. you kind of want to be closer to them yeah and uh, and uh, so there's that yeah yeah um, you know a lot of the listeners just after hearing this might be interested in coming taking over for you <laughs> this, this little house and this little life you have for yourself where you wake up every day with your coffee, surf, come back, guitar, surf again, socialize in town over pancakes. Like, is there a way for someone to contact you if they were interested in purchasing your house and moving down here? They can get hold of me through, uh, um, what's the name of Bo's outfit? You remember? I don't, but I'll just put it in the show notes. So if anybody listening has an interest of contacting Mark, you can do it through the show notes. I'll put a link that uh, will help you find out. What's the price? What are you selling this place for? 77000 This is a bargain. $77,000 for a house with a small pool. How many bedroom is it? Four bedroom. Four bedroom. How many baths? Three, three bedrooms and an office. It could be a bedroom. Two baths. Two baths? Yeah. And you're just right in the middle of nature. It's beautiful around here. There's nobody around. You're in a small little development called what, Selva Del Mar. Yeah. Nice little development. Mm -hmm. All right, man. All right. All right. Well, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you for shedding light on all these different cool little avenues for people to come and enjoy. And, you know, the annuity thing's interesting to me. I like that. Yeah. It sounds really interesting. And I'm yeah. I, I, it works for me. I like it. You know? Yeah. It's nice to have that check every month. Absolutely, dude. Yeah. Well, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure talking to you. All right. Thanks, Chapman. Thank you for listening to Misfits and Rejects. 
I hope this inspire you to think about your life situation where you're at and possibly make a big decision to choose something different for yourself if you're unhappy with where you're at in life. I hope these people that I interview inspire you to go out, spread your wings, and try something new, to live a different lifestyle that maybe your whole life people were telling you was the wrong one, but when in fact it, it's the perfect one for you. And I'll see you next time.